The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And we're going to break down the week that was in All Elite Wrestling Dynamite. Uh, Before we get into calling the action, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, dude. Uh, We got a little snow here today, so it's been a little chilly. Haven't really left my apartment that much. I do have a bit of a controversial opinion that I would like for you to uh, hear. Hit me. (laughs) The it's Wednesday. You know what that means? Mm -hmm. For 2021, it has meant insurrection, impeachment, and now inauguration. And for my like work productivity, I'm going to really need that trend of Wednesday shit to stop. Because <laughs> I don't know if I can justify just not working four Wednesdays in a row because it's been three so far. Um, and I'm just I, direction. Huh? I think we're trending in the right direction. It seems to be progressing well, but a little nervous because it's been a doozy every year so far. And Wednesdays seem to be the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that has kind of been the trend. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a hopeful face on it and say that uh, no, no, things are gonna get better. Uh, and also, Let's... I really like that they're using that as the tagline for the show. It just, yeah, um, it felt like dynamite kind of needed something like that a signature and Mm -hmm. to have a signature that's such a great tribute to uh someone who clearly meant so much to the roster i think it's really cool so so i think uh if if on wednesday of next week uh something crazy happens uh then i think it's a pattern and the sun implodes (laughs) if it happens a fifth time then it's just a fact so Well, let's 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 hope that I can actually get some work done next Wednesday, because all I did yesterday, I watched inauguration stuff pretty much all day. Um, And it was I don't know about you. It was reassuring. (laughs) It was nice waking up this morning, not having to check Twitter and see what the president said overnight. So, you know what? Good day. The Wednesdays are getting better. So no complaints, dude. How, How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I did have to work yesterday. Uh, and uh, so I had to follow everything kind of via social media and watching clips when I could. Um, but yeah, it just seems like I just feel lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess the caveat is I know that like everything isn't magically solved and we have to do a lot of work and, you know, press the people that represent us to actually do things that are in our best interest. But um, at least I have confidence that the people in power will actually like listen um, and, you know, take actions, whether it's the full measures that we want or partial measures to, you know, help out in, in one way, shape or form. I think that's a positive thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, been good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. I've been, God, I feel like this is just my therapy session event about my back every week (laughs) going back to like October. I also, I feel horrible for my, (laughs) my girlfriend because my back literally, I heard it the Monday, like the Sunday before we had our first date on a Monday. (laughs) Like 
So she blames herself. I blame just God. So, but it's feeling better. Been uh, been working out a bit, getting the elliptical in like a boss, and hopefully, finally, turning the page on this this back issue. But yeah, you need yeah. to get over it because I'm sick of hearing about it. Like, hey, hey, I don't come on here hey. and talk about all my various injuries. You text me about them though. I still hear about them. <laughs> like you missed three days of work because you hurt your foot. I mean, I <laughs> had a high ankle sprain. It was real crappy, and you know, was dealing with that off and on for a month and a half. But whatever, freaking who, Joel? Because I almost ho. fell off the roof and died. Like you know, might be a little bit more serious than having a sore back, but whatever, whatever. It's not a contest. It's not a competition. If if uh, Again, if someone puts on your clothes when you fall off the roof, do they become you? Like Santa Claus rules. I don't think so. I think it's more of a Highlander situation. There can only be one. So if, if I fall off the roof and then someone chops my head off, then they can fall off the roof. <laughs> Is that what happens in Highlander? I've never actually watched it. Uh, I'm not ready to get into a conversation <laughs> about Highlander. Let's talk about the show. Want to? F- fine. We can talk about the show. The dynamite that was. And Dynamite began with a celebration for negative one of the Dark Order involving a birthday cake. You know what that means. Uh, After this, there was a match between John Silver, Alex Reynolds, Colt Cabana, and Adam Page taking on the team of Chaos Project and TH2. Predictably, the Dark Order got the win in that match, and uh, members of Chaos Project were beaten up, hit with kendo sticks, and put through cake after the match was over. After this, Adam Page was asked in the middle of the ring by John Silver if he would join the Dark Order, and he turned them down, uh, spoiling their celebration that they had planned. After this, we saw a backstage interview between Alex Marvez and MJF and Chris Jericho ahead of their tag team match later on that evening. Next up, Tony Schiavone brought out Sting and Darby Allin to the ring, where they were interrupted by Taz, uh, who accosted them from the Jumbotron, and they were challenged to a street fight. Uh, So it appears that in the near future, we'll be getting Sting and Darby Allin teaming up to take on two members of Team Taz in a street fight. After this was a segment, again, involving Alex Marvez interviewing the Young Bucks at Omega's house, where they were confronted by Michael Nakazawa and Don Callis, Don Callis then kicked everybody out except for the Bucks and tried to buy off the Bucks and to pay them off for their years of friendship. After this, the camera went black and Don Callis uh, yelled, indicating that he had been attacked. Next up, we got a match between Pretty Peter Avalon taking on Cody Rhodes. After an interruption from Jade Cargill that gave Pretty Peter Avalon the upper hand, Cody regained control of the match and forced Peter Avalon to tap out by threatening to slap his face. Next up, we got a backstage segment with FTR and Jurassic Express, where a match was set for next week involving Dax Harwood and Jungle Boy. Next up was a match between John Moxley making his in-ring return after losing the AEW Championship, and he took on Nick Camarado, and after winning the match, cut a promo and uh, kind of gave an 
idea of, of where he's going and, and what his idea is uh, for the future of AEW, that the road runs through Moxley. Next up, Dasha interviewed Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer backstage, setting up their showdown for a future episode of Dynamite. We then got a backstage locker room segment with Kenny Omega and Don Callis. After this was a tag team match between Matt Seidel with Top Flight taking on Hardy Party. Hardy Party got the win through nefarious means, and we got a backstage segment from the Inner Circle with MJF appearing to try to usurp Jericho. Next up was a match in the women's division between legit Layla Hirsch and Penelope Ford. Penelope Ford being escorted to the ring by her butler, Charles Taylor. After this, we got a post-match promo from Miro, where he forced Charles Taylor to say that Miro is his best friend now. Next up, the Good Brothers attacked Penta backstage and were joined by Kenny Omega and Don Callis, Don directing traffic, and Kenny jamming his shoe into the eye of Penta. Finally, the main event, the Inner Circle Tag Battle, featuring the teams of Sammy Hager, MJF and Jericho, and Proud and Powerful. MJF and Jericho got the victory, and Dynamite went off the air, and that was the week of AEW. Stock up, stock down. All right, Joel, how about we start with... What were we going to start about again? Oh, yes, the Kenny Omega Young Bucks breakup, or so it seems. Uh, first off, do you think Don Callis has ever had that many abs in his life? <laughs> the painting was pretty good. I uh, I thought that was a nice touch. And um, the, this whole story through the three segments that happened over the course of the show is really doing a good job of making the heels very hateable while also positioning the bucks in a very interesting position because none of what they're experiencing is coming at the hands of Omega himself. It's all been Don Callis pulling the strings. So they're left to wonder is Omega in on this? Is he being controlled by Don Callis? Is this a situation where he's trying to get us out of the way because he sees that we're the only people who would be able to get through to Kenny? So it's going to be a difficult road for them trying to navigate that friendship and figure out where do we actually stand with regards to Kenny Omega? So I really enjoyed the way they told this story across these three segments. What stood out to you about this? Uh, Just just how in control Don Callis is of this story right now. He's Oh, I want to, I want to see him get punched in the face and I want to, I want to do it like, um, and I like the fact that they, they didn't show us that, that they're the moment where they, they throw hands with Don Callis is going to be big. It's going to be a moment. So, uh, yeah, just really interesting, compelling stuff. And when we looked at a potential Kenny Omega heel turn, uh, entering full gear last fall, I I was under the impression that super dickhead, super aggressive dickhead Bucks and heel Kenny would r- just run wild on AEW. So for them to kind of flip this on us and put, God, 
three of the most five important people in AEW into this story, especially with the history that they have, it's, it, it, I, I love it. I feel like this is a, the type of story that you want AEW to be doing because they could very easily just said, well, we'll just do the best of NJPW and we'll make it work because this is America. They haven't seen it before. Let's just run with what we know. So the fact that they're taking a risk here by splitting up these these three guys, I, I think is um, kudos to Tony Khan, the Bucks, and Omega for for going in this direction. They're doing a good job of creating questions as well. Like one question I had coming away from this storyline is, did the Bucks actually attack Don Callis in Kenny Omega's mm-hmm. home? Because the whole thing kind of felt like a setup. You know, he ushered everybody out of the room, but then made sure that the camera stayed. And then at the end of that segment, made sure he put his body in the way of the camera so that you couldn't see anything. We didn't actually hear any sounds of the Bucks like putting hands on Callus. We just heard him yelling. And then the next time we see him, you know, he's got these marks on his face, but that could easily be makeup. And he could mm-hmm. be using that to manipulate Kenny into thinking that the Bucks attacked him when they actually didn't. So, you know, it seems weird that he would try to usher everybody out for privacy, but then specifically ask them to leave the camera behind. Uh, what did you think about that? Yeah, well, well, we're seeing the invisible hand at work here. You know, it, when they he debuted that kind of persona and that story after the Kenny Omega title win, like, OK. Yeah, he's been there all the time, but what actions has he directly influenced? And I think we're kind of seeing that now that Callus is this master manipulator and the fact that he can get Kenny Omega and the Bucks to kind of go at each other and, you know, want to fight, I think is a a kind of a showcase of what this character is and what potential he has as this invisible hand. So yeah, a lot of questions for this segment. Um, God, and we still don't really know what the reality is of this AW Impact relationship. Seems to be getting deeper and stronger every day based off what we've seen. And <laughs> I love the Bucks saying, we used to work for that company that you're VP of. We know those checks don't mean a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so goddamn funny. I, I had to pause the show because I was like, damn bucks they just dropped the mic on him so um but yeah i i think it's it's very um it's just very interesting and how they're kind of building up this tension with the bucks you see that kenny uh sorry moxley is gunning for omega you now have pack and phoenix and pentagon involved this uh this kenny omega don Callis partnership is making some uh, fast enemies here in AEW. I think what I like the most about these segments is that it felt like this and the inner circle stuff were the two stories that they were trying Mm -hmm. to get across in this episode of Dynamite. And it made the show feel like it had continuity, forward momentum, and that we were going to get something valuable from the sum of all of these segments. And I think they really delivered on that. This was, in my opinion, one of the strongest episodes of Dynamite in quite a while. Probably my favorite episode since the debut of Sting. So um, I really like this. And I think this storyline in particular had a lot to do with it. 
yeah, this is also the first Dynamite since before the new year that has been kind of story-centric, not a mini pay-per-view. You know, we had two weeks of New Year's Smash. We had the Brody Lee tribute show. And then before that, they had they had the... Uh, God, the, the holiday, the have, Christmas show. Yeah, the, the Christmas show. So they ha- they've had uh, three out of the four weeks being big theme weeks, pay-per-view type weeks. And then you had the, the tribute show, which they weren't really going to be pushing stories forward with that. So, uh, yeah, it seems like we are um, on the path to fleshing out what our feuds are going to be heading into Revolution, which is five, six weeks away. So time to start building this up. So, yeah, definitely the I, I felt more engaged watching this. Not that the, the last two weeks were bad. They were they were good, good matches, good everything. But um, this really kind of scratched my storytelling itch that I've been kind of complaining about for the last few weeks. Yeah, it definitely felt good to get back on track in that regard. Uh, so one other segment that I felt really strongly about, and I thought was this was the match of the night, was the tag team match, the six-man match between Matt Seidel and Top Flight taking on Hardy Party. And I think it was a great combination of stellar in-ring work and really good in-ring story and character development. You know, we've seen in recent weeks the influence of Matt Hardy on Private Party and him kind of taking this win-at-any-cost mentality and Private Party kind of being reluctant about that. Not this evening. We saw on this episode, the two of them completely embrace winning at all costs and uh, outright cheating to win the match. Uh, Where do you think Private Party goes from here? Yeah, I don't know about you. I thought they were going to play this out a little longer and more, maybe more teases of them leaning into the Hardy way. Because I think it was only last week or maybe just two weeks ago where they were getting in Matt's face about the the percentages of the contract that went to him. So I don't know. I, I liked it. I love a good heel turn and they definitely, it felt right based off of like their, their body language and their, um, you know, just, the, just their, how they, they were smirking when they did it. But yeah, I thought it was going to take a, I thought it was going to be a little longer before they fully embraced it, especially now that, cause they're the number one contenders to the good brothers impact titles seems like that'd be a pretty natural heel good brothers versus baby face private party so I, I i was definitely shocked um and cassidy's face when he like hit him with the chair and then it kind of just like focused on his face and he just did that sly little smile that was some really good work and then god i, I think post-match mark quen's face kind of like it kind of did the smirk like fuck it let's go so yeah, I thought Quen did a really good job of selling that uh, because he initially looked a little bit shocked that Cassidy had used the chair to secure the win. And then before he hit the shooting star press, which, goodness gracious, he almost died. Um, His which feet, was yeah. One of two instances <laughs> of a wrestler almost dying on this episode. We'll talk about the other one later. Uh, but, you know, before he hit that shooting star press, you kind of saw him you know, register on his face. Like, I guess this is what we're doing now. So I like that we have these different degrees from the two of them where Isaiah Cassidy seems to have 
embraced the viciousness a little bit more. And that was told throughout the match. There were different spots where he was getting involved. He was the one who got the tag and went over and immediately knocked uh, Dante and Darius off of the ring apron after tagging in so that he could have Matt Seidel isolated. And I like that he seemed to have embraced it for more of the match. And then Mark Quinn seemed to buy in at the very end when it was like, okay, if I do this, we get the win. I want to win. So I'm going to do this. And that really worked well for me. I thought this was a really strong story and I'm excited to see what they do next. You know, are they going to, is this going to be a a linear development of just getting more and more heelish or are they going to have some regrets about the tactics that they chose? Are we going to see some infighting between the two of them Uh, And then, you know, how are they going to eventually turn on Matt Hardy, which it feels like that's probably where this is going to go. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it all play out. Yeah. And uh, Darius Martin had some Twitter beef for them uh, last night, basically saying uh, this isn't over. So I wonder if this kind of becomes a little feud for them to further establish private party as these these heels, but well, those four just have incredible chemistry together too. It it kind of feels like top flight is where private party was a year ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, projecting that out, I mean, having two teams of that athletic caliber and such innovative and creative workers in the ring. And now we're seeing private party become better storytellers than they were when they started. And I think we'll start to see the same thing from top flight moving forward. Yeah, the development here, I think, was just apparent with uh, Private Party. They are not the same team that upset the Bucks in Boston in 2019. So just really, really enjoying their development. I think we're at that point in AEW where we can see that. The company's been around for over a year. The young guys they invested in early on, they're all starting to really hit their stride and kind of break off from what we thought they were, you know, look at the, we talk about MJF, Sammy Guevara all the time, you know, have jungle boy top flight, not top flight, private party, all doing big things like this. This is the fun stuff. I think the development of these young guys was going to be really important to whether or not AEW could last. And I think they hit, hit some gold with some of these young, young performers they have. Absolutely. Um, one thing I liked the combination of top flight and Matt Sadell, by the way. Yeah. That's, I think that is a very good pairing. If, if Matt Hardy, like if he could be the Matt Hardy for them in terms of helping them develop and like that triple, that three man, like Boston crab, they pulled off early in the match. Like that was so freaking cool. Um, so I, I hope that this, this, storyline with them continues and uh Matt Seidel can kind of be a veteran mentor for them. I think that's a, a great natural fit. All right, Joel, did you want to move on and talk about Sting and Darby Allen and oh hey, guess what? It's Team Taz again. Oh my gosh. So unexpected. <laughs> uh I kid, I kid. I actually I really like this segment. I thought this Um, gave me some hope uh, for the future. Um, As we've talked about in recent episodes, this sting coming out, 
looking menacing, not really doing anything. Last week we saw him actually swing the bat. And mm-hmm. uh, and this, we I think we got our first answer to how is Singh going to be incorporated? How is he going to be involved in terms of in-ring competition? And they're setting up a street fight, a tag team street fight with Darby Allen tagging up with Sting. And they're going to be taking on a couple of members of Team Taz, which presumably will turn into taking on all of Team Taz. Breaking news, Joel. Breaking news. As of 10 minutes ago on Twitter, this is the first match announced for AEW Revolution. All right. That's good. I'm glad that they're not putting Sting's first match on anything other than a pay-per-view. So. Exactly. And and I'm curious, <laughs> kind of interesting they're going with a gimmick street fight. Um, I wonder if this is to really allow them to set spots so Sting doesn't get hurt. Yeah, I, I, I think it's possible we get a more cinematic style, you know, rather than the parking lot brawl that we saw between <laughs> um, Santana and Ortiz and uh, Best Friends. I think there's a chance that what we see here is more akin to the LAX versus LAX uh, impact storyline where we saw Conan and Eddie Kingston leading their respective versions of LAX against one another in uh, a street fight that was a a very cinematic segment. So uh, definitely some of those creative minds are there. And we could definitely see something like that. I really enjoyed that storyline on Impact. I don't know if you've seen any of it, but it's worth checking mm-hmm. out. And uh, they did some interesting things. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I I think I think the safety of Sting is is the biggest thing. And also, I think we're more. It's more likely to be something like Stadium Stampede than that Santana best Ortiz best friends match because I don't think. I don't think anyone would survive that type of match with Darby Allen and Brian Cage doing crazy shit. So, um, but it's nice to see that we are getting sting into the ring. I like, I like that. It's kind of following what we thought sting and Darby are kind of teaming up maybe as a mentor mentee type thing. And hopefully we can finally put this, not that, not that I think it needs to end, not that it's dragging or anything like that, but Darby Allen's been fusing, feuding with team Taz since July june maybe it's been a while so um if this is the kind of natural conclusion to this feud bringing a guy like sting to to help put it over and also help sell pay-per-view buys i think is is smart and kind of curious i what like i want to i want to see uh sting come down from the rafters maybe (laughs) maybe that's just like me longing for the days of my childhood but i think i don't think we're gonna get that uh, if it's pre-recorded, I bet they could do it. I bet they could even do a body double. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see what they do. It'll be interesting. But you're right. This feud has been going on a long time in terms of Darby Allen. Uh, it technically goes back to the uh, the Battle Royal or the... Um, oh, gosh. I can't remember what they called it. Yeah, the Casino Battle Royal at Double or Nothing when Brian Cage debuted. And mm-hmm. chucked Darby Allen uh, out of the ring in in brutal fashion. So uh, it goes back a long ways, and it's you know it's kind of impressive that they've managed to do this. And of course, there have been other things in between, but it, mm-hmm. it's never really felt resolved. And uh, I think that 
this street fight involving Sting is a good way to bring it back to the forefront and uh, continue moving forward in a way that feels different from just Darby going through all the different members of Team Taz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because they've had so many different people kind of come in and out of this story. Earlier in the summer, it was Moxley and and Powerhouse Hobbs and Darby supposed to face off against Team Taz in that six-man match before Mox got the Rona. Then we had the Hobbs heel turn. Then we had freaking Cody Rhodes getting dragged into it for a little bit, getting involved. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just just impressive, like you know, to make it last this long and it not feel like just ended already. Like, I don't know. Um, what what? Oh, there was the uh, like the Orange Cassidy Jericho one. Like by the time they got to the third match, especially how soon the third match was after the second match, it's like okay, this has to end here, right? Like. I don't know if this necessarily has to be the end of this story, but. Well, we're definitely work. running out of mileage. I think we need a break for sure. Uh, well, we, but I think also, we... <laughs> you know, Sting feels like it hasn't gotten out of the starting gate yet, whatever Sting is mm-hmm. doing. And so this feels like we're actually taking a step forward. We're actually learning some of his motivation. And I like that they didn't allow him to fully reveal why he was there other than to say, Hey kid, you remind me of me. And I like that. And then he gets cut off by Taz. So, you know, the next sentence could have been, I like that, but I need to show you a thing or two and I want that title, you know? So gimmick infringement punk. Like, (laughs) yeah. So there's, we still don't really know. Um, And so I, I like that they were able to, put us in a direction that feels like we're moving forward, but still not showing their hand. And I think that was pretty artfully done. Yeah. Agreed. Anything else about this? Anything else about this story, Joel, before we get into lightning round? No, let's, let's get into it. Lightning round. Lightning round. I think one of the bigger things announced tonight that it kind of just got a flash on the screen is we're getting a women's eliminator tournament for the number one contendership. I'm pretty excited. I enjoyed the men's eliminator in the fall. And I think I counted on the bracket. It's going to be a 16 participant tournament. So Joel ready to do some, uh, arm. What is it called? Uh, armchair GMing or armchair quarterbacking, whatever it is. Who do you want in this? Um, I mean, I, I think it's hard to say like the, the roster is such that if there are 16 participants, everybody's going to be in it. So uh, in terms of people that I want to have a strong showing, um, I'm a big uh, mark for Penelope Ford. I think she should factor into this strongly, especially given the prominence of her faction right now. Uh, I'd like to see um, Anna Jay and Ty Conti be heavily represented here. Uh, But I also want to see some of the other talents that have been featured on Dark uh, get a little bit more shine. So hopefully these matches really get time. Uh, I think Layla Hirsch is incredible. This would be a great place to bring Allison K back in. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about her and how we'd like to see her face off with Thunder Rosa. So this would be a great way to bring her back in. And if they're debuting new talent, this would be an awesome spot to put them. So hopefully we have some mystery competitors that get revealed on the night of and uh, that's always exciting i'm a sucker for a tournament so definitely looking forward to this 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna make a, a bold prediction that I think we get some impact stars in this tournament, especially with what appears to be a growing budding relationship. And I don't know if you know saw, but the impact tag knockouts tag team champions, uh Kira Hogan and Tasha Steels Steels, um, called out AEW saying like we actually have championships for our tag teams. We don't just give you I think they said like a participation medal knocking uh Diamante and Ivelisse for the tag team tournament that they won. So I I would love to see because the impact women knockouts and I hate calling it the knockouts. The women's roster is pretty deep. Like you got Jordan Grace, Deanna Peruzzo, the the knockout champions, Sue Young, Rosemary, like Tanil Dashwood, like plenty of people in there if this partnership is gonna continue. So that's yeah. that's what I would want to see. The knockouts division has always been really, really strong. And up until, you know, we saw Charlotte, Sasha Banks, and Becky Lynch come up to the main roster in the other wrestling company, the knockouts division was the premier women's wrestling on, you know, big market television. So I think if we get some crossover here, that would be fantastic. And a lot of those folks have also wrestled in Ring of Honor. They've also wrestled in um, NWA. So there's a lot of experience to be brought to bear. And I think my main hope is just that they get time, that these matches get good placement, that they're not an afterthought. Uh, AEW really needs to build and emphasize the women's division this year because their first full calendar year was a little bit lacking in the women's department. We've talked at length about the reasons for that. So I don't want to get back into that, but Mm -hmm. this is definitely a a good step and, and, and moving in the right direction, especially if it's executed well. Agreed. Joel, you got something for me in lightning rounds? Yeah. um, I really enjoyed the, um, the opening segment and Adam page, uh, I thought the touch of putting up the Tron that said he said yes and having the <laughs> Dark Order Cowboys come out with their horns and and celebrate and then all the different members of uh, the Dark Order kind of ushering the celebration backstage because he didn't join. I, I really enjoyed that. That felt like good drama. And uh, I liked his reason too. Uh, and I also liked that the Dark Order didn't, get mad and attack him as a result, because like I said, there's an opportunity here for the dark order to kind of play face for a little while. And Mm -hmm. I'm interested in seeing that play out. I don't think we've seen the end of the storyline. I don't think John silver is going to give up on Adam page just yet. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes moving forward. And I just thought this was a lot of fun and somebody went through a birthday cake. I'm always happy with that. But longest running trope in wrestling. If there's cake, someone's wearing it. Like, 100%. 100%. What I liked about this, uh, <laughs> remember when the 76ers did that, where they accidentally shot like confetti out, but they were going to overtime in the playoffs yeah, 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 and they yeah. ended up losing in overtime? That was so, terrible. Yeah, 76ers, you're not the only one with a premature celebration right now. So feel hey, we all feel have premature celebrations sometimes. Okay, it's, it's, it's a normal thing. Happens to everyone. Also, I can, uh, I can hate on Philly again. I promised after the election, I wouldn't be mean to them to the inauguration. So fuck you, Philly. (laughs) (sighs) What? (laughs) 
<laughs> there's a there's a song um, by Julian Casablancas where he uh, talks about living on the frozen surface of a fireball where people come together to hate each other in the name of sport. And uh, it just it came to mind when you talked about hating Philly. But anyway, oh. I feel it's one of my longest, most consistent things is hating. Yeah, Philly. absolutely. So let's, let's move on. Um, lightning round stock up to Sammy Hager. <laughs> yeah. And they actually, they got a shout out from Sammy Hagar. He has a new favorite tag team. And uh, oh, I don't think he really understood what was going on, but that's fine. It was still fun to see the red rocker on, uh, mm-hmm. on dynamite. So Definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, it, I bet the manager's like, dude, they're give you like five thousand dollars, or they just did like a cameo. It's probably they probably friends with Jericho. Yeah, that's that is he probably, probably true. Did yeah, it just because Jericho asked him to. I mean, that is one thing I'll say for Chris Jericho: the dude knows like freaking mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I I thought that was really funny, but I also kind of I enjoyed the match. I yeah. enjoyed the dynamic, and I liked the intensity of it for a faction it seemed like, like, you know, you don't expect them to want to wail on each other, but I feel there's been months of frustration and that was like a legit match. That was really fun. And, um, yeah, Jericho almost died. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that is the worst lion salt that we've ever seen from him. That was scary. Do you think he just didn't get enough speed? Cause he only started like, he didn't get like a big run, like, yeah, it just it, seems he mistimed it too. He usually jumps up to the second rope, and so his weight coming down is what kind of causes the rope to bend out and give him the spring on the rebound to to launch into it. He stepped up onto the second rope this time, and I don't know if that made a difference, but I mean, he definitely did not get the launch that he usually does, and it was scary for a second there. Um, I was worried mm-hmm. that he might have hurt himself, but he's okay, so that's good. Um, my favorite thing from this match was Sammy getting angry with Chris Jericho and just wailing on him. That mm-hmm. was great. Yeah, there's definitely you can see kind of. I thought I was your like chosen one. You're, you know, I thought you were my mentor, and there's there's definitely. Uh, some MJF took my place vibes coming from Sammy right now. Well, I'm, I'm definitely for. here for it. Yes, sir. You got another lightning round item for me? Yeah. One last thing I wanted to talk about, um, which was the Layla Hirsch and Penelope Ford match. I really enjoyed this match. Layla Hirsch is great. She has yet to have a bad match in AEW. And uh, I enjoyed the dynamic of Charles Taylor, the butler, uh, being out there and uh, just everything that happened with this developing storyline. I am not um, a sucker for wrestling weddings. I think it's a, a kind of silly trope and I don't usually get excited for it, but I think they've done such a good job with this storyline. And I think it's eventually going to come to a head uh, because this shouldn't be about Miro. This should be about Penelope and Kip. And it's not. It's been about Miro the whole time. And I I want Kip or Penelope or both of them to get mad because he's stealing their spotlight because he's so obsessed with being the best man and forcing uh, Chucky e. T to, to call him his best friend and, and all of these things. I think there's some real potential there. 
Yeah, and I think Miro is going to show up to the wedding wearing white. Oh. Just to piss off the bride. That that would be interesting. <laughs> his his Gucci sweatpants and shirt cost more than her dress. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really enjoyed that, and um, I I thought Charles as the butler worked really well. Poor Orange Cassidy having to watch that, and poor Trent at home, like having to watch his best friend say that. Oh, I feel for you, Trent. I feel for you. Um. I got I got two things left very quickly. Um Avalon tapping because he doesn't want to get in the face. Amazing. Choice. Absolutely choice. <laughs> so funny, so awesome. I love I love I love Pretty Pete. That's so good. And then um in the John Moxley match, Nick's Nick Camaroto, Kam- I thought it was Colorado at first. I was like, what? But he's he's impressive. He's a big dude. Yep. Um I'm, is he another nightmare factory guy? Yes, he is. And uh, he's had several matches on AEW Dark, and I've been impressed with him every time. Uh, I, my favorite thing from this match is that Moxley is wrestling like he's nursing injuries. And I'm sure like there's some truth to that, but he's definitely playing it up. And I think it just offers us a different flavor of Moxley. You know, we had been getting a little bit tired of his gimmick and how he was, you know, acting as champion. And I like that he struggled in this match. You know, he couldn't get Camarado up because his back gave out and, you know, his clothesline didn't knock Camarado down. And I think that it's a really nice way of giving us a different version of John Moxley, even if it's just for a few weeks while he's nursing these injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes sense that we're going to have him in a six-man tag uh, at Beach Break. And it seems inevitable that we're getting a Moxley-Omega rematch at Revolution. We'll see. But that's that's where I think it's going. And then they can put that, that feud to rest. So, Joel, did you have a random observation this week? Or can I close out the show? I do. And it actually uh, it ties into what we were just talking about. observation of the week so as we've discussed before lance storm is our patron saint of the podcast yes and, he is uh one of the things that lance storm always points out is that dudes need to shave their chests because otherwise on television your muscles don't look impressive and uh that was definitely going on with john moxley he's uh in this uh, couple months that he's been out he clearly was letting the chest hair grow and uh He's always a little bit fuzzy, but he was fuzzy to the point where you can't see any of his muscle definition. And it kind of made him just look like a dude, like not very physically impressive or imposing. And especially when he was in the ring with this Titan of, yeah. of humanity, Nick Camarado. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, call up the fine folks at Gillette, uh, get the hookup and, uh, you know, Take care of that. We just, we just need Renee to wax him. Like, isn't that what having a a partner is for? I always joke that I needed a girlfriend to help me get icy hot patches on my back. So yeah, I've uh, I've not taken advantage of that. So uh, I can't can't speak to that at all. Well, I don't know if Anne wants to put icy hot on your back. I'll ask her, but I don't. 
I think she's going to be really into that. So that's that's it. That was it. Okay. (laughs) All right. That got awkward. You guys can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the other wrestling show, Twitter at OWS underscore pod, Joel at the other Joel, me at Michael underscore Aranda. You can email us at the other wrestling show at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, give us some reviews, reach out. You know, we talked to some of you guys on the Twitter. So, yeah, keep it going. Uh, Joel, anything else before I have some chicken cordon bleu? Well, this is a direct message to Adam Page. It's a great time to join the Dark Order. Join the Dark Order. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling. Bye.